0: Well, I'm teaching on forgiveness today, and uh, that, that's, that's real. That's not a joke. Uh, honored to be with our Sherman family this morning. Uh, Pastors Abby and Austin are just beautiful, beautiful people in our life, and of course, I love Kimberly and Marcus as well, and uh, excited to be with you all, Pastor Terry, Stan, the whole team, Whitney. You have just beautiful people that are leading you here. Jesse, I mean, we just give everybody a hand. They're doing an incredible job of modeling the love and grace of Jesus toward you. And, uh, wow, you've been in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Pastor Austin has invited me to come and share uh, Matthew 6, 12 through 13, which will be our our core text. And I've been kind of stuck. Anybody go through different uh, times of reading uh, the scriptures in different translations? I've kind of been stuck in the New King James uh, since the beginning of this year. So I'm going to be reading from the New King James this morning. But before we we jump into this uh, and, and spend some time and really looking forward to what the Holy Spirit wills to do in the room, in the hearts and lives of everyone here. Uh, let me just say this, that God wants us to be free. That who the sun sets free is free indeed and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I believe that that's an ever increasing, ever deepening experience in our hearts and in our lives. And I love that prophetic encouragement that came forward because when we talk about being willing to be willing, uh, that's in direct, excuse me, direct connection to the things that I'm going to be sharing this morning, that for us to move into a place of experiencing God's rule and reign, his kingdom come in our hearts and our lives, we have to be willing I'd submit to you in humility this morning that there's a lot of people that have repented enough to get into the kingdom, but they haven't repented enough to see the kingdom. And repentance in the Greek literally means to change the way that you think. They've become willing enough to get into God's rule and reign through the free gift of salvation, but they haven't become willing enough to experience this rule and reign in every single area of their hearts and their lives. And I was feeling something from the Lord myself during the worship. I just needed to go and stand at the back of the room for a minute and just pray and really intercede over you as the Lord's people. And I had this word drop into my heart that might seem a little bit off from the uh, outline. But uh, I I wouldn't know how to preach if I didn't from in the first five minutes already not look at my notes. So this is going to be great. Uh, But I want to encourage you with something. I felt this in the room and... Uh, I'm very interactive. I I like response. I like you to be with me. There's certain things that I might ask you to do, uh, and you have to be willing to be willing. And I do feel that this word requires some type of a response, and at the beginning of this message, I want to pray uh, a commissioning prayer over some people in the room, but I've heard this in my heart, and, and, and I... And I'm hoping that I'm discerning what the Spirit of the Lord would want to say to this particular group. And I think it'll apply to the next service as well. But I heard this phrase come in my heart out of nowhere that this group that's here this morning, God's called you to not be moralists. He's called you to be revivalists. He hasn't just called you to be people that keep the rules. He's called you to be people that extend His rule and reign through the authority of the Spirit everywhere that you go. And I feel like God wants to transition some hearts in the room this morning from what it means to be, uh, to be just from a posture of saying that, God, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Uh, I, I'm handling this situation the right way. I'm handling my relationships the right way. I'm being moral. I'm being righteous. I'm being good. And I feel like the Holy Spirit would this morning love to breathe some wind from heaven into that flame of righteousness that's on the inside of you, and to extend that out to a place to where now you don't just become a fireplace, you become a place of ignition and an igniter for the things of God everywhere that you go. So I say over you again in the name of the Lord that God hasn't called you just to be moralists; he's called you to be revivalists, and he hasn't called you to just keep the rules, but he's commissioning you this morning to extend his rule in his reign, everywhere that he goes to the declaration of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is, is the royal announcement about his kingship and his lordship. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the gospel isn't something that you can just explain. The gospel is something that you can demonstrate in real time. That's why Jesus went forth and he boldly proclaimed the gospel and then he immediately followed it with the healing of the sick, the casting out of devils Amen. and the performing of miracles. And the gospel that we have today is not a secondary gospel. It's a first-rate, authentic, Holy Spirit-filled and saturated gospel of the kingdom of God. Which is why whenever we sing a song like, This is a House of Miracles, we should believe to see the touching point for that. Not just here, but in the walls and halls of our own personal homes. We sing this is a house of miracles because we're believing that whatever your physical address is, is a house of miracles as well. So I'm going to say over you again that God hasn't called you to just be moralists. God's called you to be revivalists. And God hasn't called you to just keep the rules. He's called you to extend his rule and his reign into every sphere of society and every place that your feet touch. And if you have a burning that's coming into your heart as I'm speaking this word out, I want you to stand right where you are. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you, Lord, for those in the room right now that are experiencing a fresh baptism of your power for the work that's at hand, God. Father, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. Lord, you reveal to us through the words of your servant, Paul, that he came not with words of eloquence or human wisdom, but he came with the spirit and a demonstration of power. So, Father, I thank you right now for each and every brother or sister that's standing in this room experiencing a commissioning from the Lord Jesus Christ to step in, Father, boldly into another sphere of what it means to walk with you in accordance with Acts 10.28, that you, Lord Jesus, were anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and you went about doing good, being moral, and curing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. Father, I thank you, Lord, that this house is experiencing today a fresh baptism of your Power. Jesus, you were anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power, and implies something greater, and implies something in direct supplement and complement, too. So, Father, I thank you that the presence of the Spirit is here today. I thank you that these people that are standing love you and are walking in fellowship with your Spirit, and their heart is desiring righteous behavior, righteous relationship. Righteous living. But, Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus for your fire to cascade over them, Father, and for them to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power to do good and, Father, we're focusing on the and this morning, and to cure all that are sick and oppressed by the devil, I thank you, Father, that you are commissioning revivalists in the room this morning. you are commissioning people that have walked in a deep behind the scenes purity and character, Father, you have tested them through that crucible of character, and I thank you, Father, that today there is a time of unveiling in their spheres of influence, Lord, Father, that they haven 't put the cart before the horse, they have said character first, but I thank you, Father, that they are not to lack in. Power. And I thank you, Father, that character has created a capacity, Lord, for a true revealing, Lord, a true showcasing of the gospel of your kingdom. I thank you, Father, for pure vessels that are standing here this morning. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, that that fire that's been shut up in their bones will be released. And Father, that the light inside of them is not the little light that we used to sing about. It is the blazing power of the Holy Spirit, God, that turned the world upside down at Pentecost. And I thank you, Father, that their businesses, their homes, their families, their schools that they're a part of, will be turned upside down by the living declaration of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you receive that, say, I receive it I receive in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Somebody give God praise. Hallelujah. Yeah. We thank you, Lord. Praise God. Okay, now we can, now we can teach. Matthew 6, verses 12 through 13. This is the Lord Jesus speaking and I love that in his life and in his ministry, we continue to see that Jesus is of course the model for our life as believers, as Christians, we bear his name, which means that we walk in a heart of being willing to be willing to be congruent to his lifestyle, to his practices, to his thought processes. And it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that's working in us. In Philippians, Paul tells us that right now it's God that's at work in you and me as believers, giving us the power and the desire to do that which pleases Him. How many of you know that God is so good and His grace is so perfect that right now, if you're a born again believer, the Holy Spirit is giving you the desire to do what pleases Him, even when you don't have the desire in your flesh? And if you'll learn how to surrender to the work that God's already doing on the inside of you, you won't just be willing to be willing, you will start being willing, ready, and able to release his work everywhere that you go. But we have to be willing to be willing to get into agreement or partnership with the work that God's already doing on the inside. How many of you know that we have a real enemy? We have a real power and powers of darkness in the world today that are also trying to work on you that are also trying to work to wear you down, but they don't work, they're not supposed to work from the inside out because this is the place that as new covenant Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells and is working on us, but they try to work into our hearts and our minds from the outside in. And I'm gonna talk about some of the ways that born again, spirit-filled believers can have partnership with things that are not godly in their life and can actually be experiencing major setbacks in their kingdom walk because of just some, I believe, basic revelation that we have to get into that's right here from the Lord's teaching in regards to the Lord's prayer. And I believe that if we can end some partnership with some things that are holding us back, we can now allow the Holy Spirit through us to grab a hold of the people around us for the kingdom of God. How many of you would love to be able to move on past your recent setbacks? How many of you would love to believe that there's freedom from snares and cycles of things that maybe you've been caught in your whole life? And maybe you've just tried to encourage yourself and the Lord to a place to say, hey, you know, this might just be as good as it gets. I'm always going to be deficient here. I'm always going to have this particular snare or hold up here. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus has the capacity to make you totally free. That Jesus has the ability, Jesus' power makes it possible for you to walk in the freedom that God wills for you to have in every area of your life. Jesus, through the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, as you've been going through a couple weeks now, brings us to this Matthew 6, 12 through 13. Listen to it in the New King James. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus teaching through this prayer is profound. I love that when the disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, that Jesus didn't just say, well, just pray however you want. Just pray whatever you feel. And I know that there's place and times in our life to really just let our feelings out to God and to have this deep-seated personal intimacy like we would a friend. But how many of you know that we're not just after praying, if we're really serious about not just being moralists but revivalists, if we're really not, if we're really serious about not just keeping the rules but extending God's rule and reign into every area of our lives, we are not just concerned with praying to pray, we're concerned with praying so that we can be effective. We want to see effectual prayer. How many of you want your prayers to actually do something? besides makes you make you feel like well I guess somebody heard me. And Christians so often we have this this issue this problem whenever it comes to, to prayer. Uh, you've heard situations that you've been in surely around faith-filled charismatic Christians where you know they've done everything that they know to do and then finally somebody kind of sighs and said, "Well, I guess we can pray." Or all that's left is prayer. At this point we pray do you know that as uh, the lord's body prayer is not supposed to be our last resort it's supposed to be our first response and we should never carry this feeling of prayer that leaves us empty-handed hollow on the inside and simply in a sigh of despair no god wants us to lean into prayer and the disciples discern something about the power in jesus's life deeply connected to his rhythm of personal prayer and his time spent with God. Prayer is the foundation for all of the quality time and the relational time that you'll spend with the Lord. Think about what the disciples ask. They don't ask him, Jesus, teach us to be able to cast out demons the way that you cast out demons. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us to be able to heal the sick. Jesus, teach us how to be able to keep the law perfectly because you are keeping every law and legal ordinance of the old covenant Perfectly, Jesus, teach us how to be able to be more eloquent in our teaching, in our exposition of the scripture. Jesus, teach us how to project your voice the way that you did at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, teach us about your style because you've got this seamless one-piece garment that is fly. Where did you get that? Where do, I, where do I pick up something like that? No, they asked for one thing. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I believe that in living in close fellowship with Jesus, that the disciples discerned that Jesus' public walk was connected to his private talk. They discerned that Jesus' public display of power was connected to his deep submission in kneeling before the Father in this prayer closet. They discerned that the life of God was flowing through him with such tenacity because he had rooted himself into the very heart of God, through this place of prayer, we see in the scripture repeatedly where Jesus, excuse me, Jesus would get off by himself to pray. He would often visit desolate places. He was up before the sun was up praying, fellowshipping with God. And the disciples discerned this in his life, and they said, "Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us this practice and this posture of life that will result in us being more like you in our daily life. Teach us your habits so that we can behave like you teach us your practices so that we can flow in the same power that you do is everybody with me so when we look at the lord's prayer we're looking at something far more than something that we just memorized as a child and hopefully that you did hopefully this language of the lord's prayer has been with you a long time if you're new to this type of prayer and you're new to even life with God, praise God, Jesus says you're born again so you get to be a kid all over again. And that's awesome and that's a beautiful reality. So we've progressed in this teaching of prayer that Jesus gives to the disciples to see that he's focusing now on this subject of forgiveness, temptation, deliverance from the evil one and emphasizing that this kingdom and power And glory belongs to our Father. And he concludes it with an amen. I want to give you a couple observations about this passage. And then we'll see how we progress. Observation number one in looking at this. Let's read it one more time. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. Or forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. Different translations say different things. As we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from The evil one. Did you notice in this passage that forgiveness precedes dealing with temptation and the evil one in your life? I can tell you the first reason why people don't have victory over their own personal temptations and over the evil one himself. And it's typically because they're not dealing with the matters of forgiveness in their own personal heart first. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice that forgiveness, and I would also add to this confession of our own personal issues, setbacks, limitations, and sins, should precede dealing with our own personal temptation and deal and precede us dealing with spiritual conflict or spiritual warfare in Our hearts and in our lives. And we're going to see how strong a point Jesus is wanting to make about this here in just a moment. Another observation from this passage if we look, if you read this passage in the English Standard Version or the New Revised Standard Version, even in the New Living Translation, as we have forgiven, sorry, as we forgive our debtors, and the ESV, the NRSV, and the NLT translate it this way As we have forgiven, those who have sinned against us, as we have also forgiven our debtors and as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Second observation from this passage is that this prayer, whenever we pray it, has the implication that whenever we're asking for forgiveness in the areas of our life that we need it, that we have already forgiven the people that have wronged us. Second observation here is that forgiveness to others in prayer is supposed to be a past tense activity. Jesus is suggesting here that whenever we come into a posture of prayer, we have already forgiven the debts that other people have owed us. Okay, I'll show it to you here in a minute. Well, let's go now. The response uh, encourages me to go there now. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at this really, really quickly here uh, together. Uh, take a look at Jesus uh, speaking again in just the verse that follows in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Forgiveness is such a vital topic for Jesus that he just gets done teaching it in the context of what we call the Lord's Prayer in 12 and 13... So let's read all this together. I want to read 12 through 15 together and listen to the emphasis that Jesus makes. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Welcome to the promises of Jesus that nobody prints and puts on their refrigerator. Man, I love being a charismatic, don't you? Man, we know the promises of God. I'm blessed in my coming and I'm blessed in my going. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. All the blessings of Abraham now rest upon me. Man, we like that. So let me give you another promise from Jesus. (laughs) This is one that nobody commits to memory. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. The word of God made flesh gives us this promise. For if you forgive their trespasses, forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Man says, whoa, is that, is that true? Well, it depends if you believe Jesus is telling the truth or not. Maybe he was saying it for dramatic effect. Maybe he was trying to be like that, you know, shock jaw preacher. I need, I need something that's really uh, controversial that will grab the attention of this. This Sermon on the Mount at this point, Jesus like, I feel like it's getting a little stale, you know. <laughs> My disciples have heard this. Here's some new material. Let me throw this in here. This will wake everybody up. That's not Jesus, is it? Jesus means what he says and says what he means. And I really got bothered about this as I read it again. I was taking my kids swimming this weekend, and I was reading through this again in the New Living, and that, man, it just kept just sticking out to me. I said, God, I know this is true, But how in the world am I going to get up and try to to teach this Beside, just it says what it says? And God, I know you, that you're so patient and you're so kind. And if my kids ask me why to the things I tell them and the rules that I tell them 100 million times, surely I can ask you why about this. I know this is the rule, but why? I just want to know why. And I sat and I was looking at this uh, pretty little swimming hole that we were at couple hours from our house and i was just sitting with the lord and i kept saying god why why what's if you if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses and i sat there thinking and thinking and thinking and just keeping my heart open to the lord and this still small voice on the inside of me comes and says son whenever you're in unforgiveness and you're living in unforgiveness, you at that point in time are reflecting not the glory of the Lord that you're called to reflect, but you are actually reflecting the core identity of the devil himself. And he reminded me of his name. The name in Hebrew for the Satan isn't even, we talk about Satan with a capital S, which with my notes when I write, because he's really, Terrible! I don't even give him the luxury of the capital S. I always give him the lowercase s if I have to write out his name because in the Hebrew, Ha Satan is a, is a title for a thing, not the name of a person. The devil is not his person. He's been so marred. He's a thing. He's an it, and the title that's been given to him is Ha Satan, which means the accuser. When you live in unforgiveness, you come into direct partnership with the devil's core identity, his name. You cannot live in unforgiveness and and try to unintentionally avoid accusation. Accusation is the foundation for unforgiveness. I can't forgive you because you meant it. You did it intentionally. You knew what you were doing. You had power over me. You abused that power. And because of that, I have to withhold forgiveness. Do you know every rationale that I just gave to withhold forgiveness in this vague scenario that I'm using, in this analogy, had an accusation attached to it. I can't forgive you because you are this, because you do it intentionally, because you always do this, because you've always done that, because you'll never change. How many of you know you can't hang on to unforgiveness and not partner with the accuser? Jesus is saying to us within four verses, he says the same thing with another layer of amplification that this unforgiveness thing is a problem. It's such a problem that you will actually posture yourself in a place of direct resistance and opposition to the nature of God himself. And you say, well, but the things that have happened to me have been so intentional. They knew better. And we forget that as Christians, we're called to model the Christ. And I think about Jesus on the cross dying looking out and saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you think of anything more intentional than public crucifixion? You can't accidentally publicly crucify somebody. And on top of that, an innocent man, nobody has ever had the temptation to hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness, and offense than the Lord Jesus on the cross totally innocent, and even to the point of innocence that he could have defended his case, yet he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and didn't even open his mouth before Pilate. And having such a revelation of how blind people are when they're operating in hurt and harm towards others, that in this moment of divine clarity on the cross and literally pronouncing a blessing, not just to those that would persecute him, but for you and I, that all of us at one point in our life, whether we knew it or not, were persecuting the Lord Jesus ourselves with our lifestyle of sin. Some of us hostile to people of faith. Some of us coming against people of God, even within our families. Jesus looking out over the sins of not just the people in front of him, but all of humanity says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Which implies that if they knew, if they were in their right mind if they understood spiritual things they would not be doing what they're doing right now so even though this looks like the most intentional premeditated thought out opportunistic crime predatory response against an innocent person that's ever happened in all of human history Jesus says they don't know what they're doing father forgive them And you say, well, Pastor Zach, I've been through horrendous things. I've been through terrible things. I I know that. So many of us have. But here's the thing about it. God is not asking you to do something that he hasn't already given you the power to be able to do. See, for the charismatic church, a lot of times we focus on the supernatural power of God when it comes to laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. We focus on the supernatural power of God to raise the dead or to cast a demon out of somebody or to believe for a breakthrough in our finances. But I'm here to tell you today that the same power of the Spirit that gives you the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover gives you the ability to speak a word of pardon and debt forgiveness over the worst atrocities that have ever come against your life and through the very victimizer themselves. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. No one can fulfill what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 14, 15 without the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you that there is no commandment in the scripture that's impossible for the believer. When Jesus says it's possible for you to live a life of putting off anger like a garment and never put it back on again, I believe that's possible through Jesus' words to the apostle Paul. When Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and it will obey you. I don't believe that that's hyperbole. I believe that's possible for the believer. The problem is, is that we look at so much of the scripture through the lens of our impossibility instead of through the potency of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You did not get a watered down Holy Ghost whenever you believed in Jesus and called upon His name. When you asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you got the same Holy Ghost that was on the Apostle Paul, that was on the prophet, uh, that was on the prophet Daniel. You got the same Holy Spirit that was on the Lord Jesus Christ. You got the same Holy Spirit that was hovering over the formless and void of creation waiting for the word of God to be released so that it could partner with God's word to cause light and life to spring up in the earth. The Holy Spirit is hovering over your life, waiting for you to be willing to be willing to obey the written word so that it can release the power of God to see that word fulfilled in your life. So the question is, are you willing to be willing to forgive? As soon as you get into a posture of being willing to be willing, the Holy Ghost will take it from there. I have been behind the scenes in prayer and said, God, I don't know if I handled this situation right. I don't know if I did right by that person. And wrecking my mind, God, i got to live right with people. I I can't be offended. i got to lay this down. And God will put a situation in front of me and I finally will not know what to do that I will simply, I can't tell you how spot on that word that came this morning about being willing to be willing. I finally put my mind at rest to say this, God, I'm torn up between my own struggle with religion at the moment. I'm torn up with this situation, that past trauma, whatever it might be. The only thing I know is that I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will make whatever move you tell me to make. I will reach out to whoever you tell me to reach out to. I will open up my heart in my wallet to whatever person you tell me, whatever situation. God, I just want to be willing to be willing. And as soon as we do that, we end partnership with the accuser and we reaffirm and reestablish partnership with our God. And it's God at work in you right now, giving you both the power the power and the desire to do that which pleases you. And it's totally okay to admit that you do not have a desire to forgive said person. That's why you haven't done it. Because you've left it up to you instead of Christ in you. You're never going to want to forgive. You're never going to want to forgive don't ever wait for it in your flesh. So many Christians are waiting for their flesh to do things that it will never do because it's dead. You are alive with Christ. Well, Lord, if if I feel led, if I feel led to go across the two or three gas pumps over and swipe my credit card for that person to get gas, What you never thought that that desire is already in your head for a reason. The thought's there, but I, the thought's there. And I'm just, I'm so moral, I'm, I'm a moralist and I know I'm just a good person. So that thought's there because of me. No, that thought's there. But if I feel led to actually do it, what does that mean? I'm warring with whether or not I really desire obedience. Because I'm waiting for my feelings to take me to a place that my faith is supposed to already guide me. Because this is a faith walk. You ain't going to feel it all the time. Most of the time, the feeling don't come until after. So much of the church waiting to be free, waiting to experience deliverance, waiting to end partnership with things in their life because they're waiting on a feeling When the devil knows, he's got you controlled by your feeling. Look at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Let's listen to Jesus tell us some more incredibly hard things. Sounds like a great use of our Sunday morning together. I can say this, though, that the topic at hand, Pastor Austin asked me to come preach on. This, he gave me the verses. He said, preach on this, so... I really just wanted to come and tell everybody that God loves you and and go home. But we, we have to do this. And and I love my friend, but we can blame him this morning. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I love this. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I shall my brother Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all the land that he had. And all that he had, and that payments be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begging him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what, he, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that, he had, all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. Some translations say tormentors until he should pay all that was due to him. Jesus saying, So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. What another powerful promise from Jesus. <laughs> that if you live a life of hanging on to unforgiveness, you Jesus promises here that you will be handed over to tormentors. And that's not in a future tense thing. That's in a present tense reality. And you say, why in the world would God allow me to be handed over to tormentors if I'm in unforgiveness? And I would like to propose to you that being handed over to tormentors is mercy compared to living with the effects of a life totally rooted in unforgiveness. Notice that the torment attached to your life is to drive you to forgiveness and repentance. It's to get you into a posture of moving toward the life-giving thing because living a life rooted in unforgiveness is far worse than experiencing the torment assigned to you to drive you to forgiveness. We don't think about how deadly unforgiveness actually is in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus breaks it down in this parable fully. Whenever you operate in unforgiveness toward a brother, a sister in the Lord, when you operate in unforgiveness towards people in your past that are lost and broken, that did horrendous things to you, but in actuality, in the grand scale, did not have any idea what they were actually doing. God says that mercy is for you to experience a type of torment now compared to what will actually actualize in your life if you live under the bondage of unforgiveness your entire life. How terrible is the effect of unforgiveness on your personhood if it's mercy for you to experience torment to drive you to forgiveness. Jesus through this parable breaks down the fact that all things have been forgiven through him. And the reason that I believe personally that Jesus makes such a big deal about unforgiveness is because whenever we operate in unforgiveness, we are operating in the epitome of pride and what we are saying is that the crucifixion of Jesus only had its effect for the people that we want it to have its effect on. Jesus on the cross dealt with sin. Not just inclusively. Because remember John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Notice that it did not say, for God so loved the church. For God so loved the world. The church are those that are the ecclesia, the called out ones from the world. But what calls you out? The radical forgiveness and acceptance that God has provided you on the cross because while you were still yet a sinner, Christ died for you. To operate in unforgiveness is to directly oppose the grace-centered gospel of God. Jesus deals with it so harshly and Jesus says it's better for you to experience a torment that hopefully will drive you to forgiveness than to move into a posture of pride-centered self-righteousness that allows you to say that Christ's blood is only applied for the people that you think deserve it. Jesus deals with unforgiveness consistently throughout his ministry because he knows that the ultimate atoning work for the sin of all humanity is going to be performed in his personhood. The blood that Jesus spilled on the cross was not just for your sin, it was for your enemy's sin. It was for the people that have hurt you the most. And that in your mind did it intentionally. Jesus' blood on his cross proves to the world that there is forgiveness accessible through belief and faith in his name. Jesus is inviting us into a life of freedom in this teaching that starts with us closing the door to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will put us into a posture of direct opposition to God and it impedes your connection with God. And I'll tell you this, it impedes your prayerful effectiveness. Look at Mark 11, verses 25 through 26. Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses trespasses in Ephesians four twenty seven, the apostle Paul tells us as believers that we're not to give place or room for the devil in our life in Acts 5 3 Peter tells Ananias a believer who has sold a plot of land and come and only present in part even though the Holy Spirit had convicted him to present the full amount to the work of God Peter says this to Ananias who we can suppose is not just a believer but a spirit-filled believer. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Look at James, brother of the Lord, chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. He says this to the church of God. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Did you know hanging on to vengeance and vigilante style justice is the way of the world? It's the way to make yourself in partnership with the way of the world? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Did you know that unforgiveness ultimately is built on the foundation of pride? And did you know that you can't move into forgiveness without humility? And it's humility that gives you access to grace. Grace is not just the thing that saves you. Grace is God's operating system. Grace is God's ability in the midst of your human inability. Did you know that you have to have God's supernatural power to be able to forgive? and it takes humility to access that grace. Listen to this. I'm telling you, the bulk of our spiritual warfare in the kingdom of God comes down to our ability to yearn for what it means to live an unoffendable life. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you did you know you have no business trying to resist the devil if you haven't decided to become willing to be willing to what god wants you to do welcome to the reason why the majority of the of christians get their tushies whooped by the devil and it's because they try to fight the devil before they allow themselves to become willing to be willing to the thing that god keeps bringing up in their mind and worship that they keep pushing down they lose their fight over powers of darkness because they keep pushing down. Well, if I feel led, I'll send that text to that relative that I've been putting off. I'm waiting for the feeling, you see, because I, I, I need the feeling. How many of you know that your feelings are not the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Some of us are losing The spiritual fight that we're called to engage in every day, and we're led into various kinds of temptation. Did you know temptation is not optional for you if you're a human being? But being controlled by temptation is totally optional. Did you know experiencing the temptation to be offended is not optional for a human being? If you are married, you should be saying amen right now. (laughs) Nobody gives me more temptation to be offended than my spouse, but don't worry, it works vice versa. They asked uh, Billy Graham's wife uh, what she felt the secret was to a great marriage. And she said, oh, that's simple. A great marriage is made up of just two really good forgivers. But it was intentional. We lose a spiritual fight with temptation. And we lose the spiritual fight even against the evil one in our lives so often because we're waiting on a feeling to perform what God says is a fact. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and He will lift you. Uh, James 5.16 confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed did you know unforgiveness is literally damaging your soul and your body Jesus says you to experience a torment of your conscience that's driving you to forgiveness is worth it to keep you solically and physically whole There is a physical effect of unforgiveness on your personhood that requires healing, physical healing that's right on the other side of confession and repentance. Listen, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In closing, 1 Corinthians six seventeen, my favorite passage in the entire Bible says this, that he or she that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. And I'm here to tell you today in this final stanza of the Lord's prayer that the freedom that God wants you to experience, the victory over temptation, the freedom from torment in many of your lives is right on the other side of the doorway of forgiveness. It's right on the other side of the doorway of you saying, God, I'm willing to be willing because you can't muster up this desire in your flesh. To be honest in the midst of that situation or whatever it is that's hurt you or whoever it is that's hurt you in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of abuse, let's be honest guys, we should be at a place of maturity that we're quick to forgive the joker that cuts us off in traffic. Okay. The thing that we're struggling with unforgiveness around is not the person that cut in front of us in the line at Walmart. The thing that we're struggling unforgiveness around is the parent that should have known better but didn't. Is the spouse that promised, made covenant with me that they would always be there and they weren't. It's the child that lied on me. It's the grandchild that stole from me. It's the things that cut deep. It's the things that feel to the soul like crucifixion does to the body. Those are the things that we tap into the power of Christ to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's forgiveness for the loved one that struggles with addiction and promises you that they're gonna be better this time, promises you that they're gonna fly straight this time and then takes again, lets down again. Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. And, because of this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, make us free from the power and the effects of the evil one in our life. God would call us this morning if we would be willing to be willing to step into the power of the Holy Spirit and to very simply right now through prayer ask the question, Lord, is there anybody that I'm supposed to forgive? Sometimes we have built such strongholds on the inside of us that we even deceive ourselves into believing that we really have let things go. But some of us, because of the trauma of life that we've been through, we have delayed healing because we've been hurt so bad. We built a wall. We mortared it off with cinder block and we don't go there. We intentionally have taught ourselves not to remember because we think that forgiveness will be the thing to make us relive the atrocity that's been committed to us. And I'm here to tell you today that if you'll be willing to be willing to invite Jesus into that place that maybe for some of you don't even know is there, if you'll invite him in to that place, he will not just forgive you, he will heal you. He will heal that core memory in your life. He will show you where he was when that thing happened to you. And where he is right now. And the truth is this, that who the son makes free is free indeed. The truth is that his goodness is better than the worst thing that's happened to you. And I've got good news for you this morning. God doesn't just offer forgiveness and healing for the victim. God offers forgiveness and healing for the victimizer. Because sometimes the torment is you not being able to receive God's forgiveness for you because you knew better. That's you and you can't receive God's forgiveness for yourself. You need to get a picture this morning of the crucified Jesus looking at you square in the face. Jesus looked squared in the face the ones that had plucked his beard the one that had driven the nails into his hand, the one that had mocked him, gambled for his clothing. He looked at them, I believe, through the Holy Spirit in a mysterious way. In that moment, I believe he looked at everybody eye to eye and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If you've been the victim or the victimizer, if you've been the one that's experienced the heart of broken promises or you've been the promise Breaker, God's forgiveness is still the same for you. And if you want to silence the voice of the accuser in your life, let the voice of the forgiving savior cascade over you, wash over you. If you want to close the door to darkness in your life, open the door to the Prince of Peace who makes the rule and reign of his shalom make all things right in your life. Even though they've, been horribly wrong every head bowed and every eye closed as we move into a time of response to what God's doing in the room we can invite our altar teams, ministry teams to come as you feel led I'm going to encourage you where you are right now in the room if you know that you either Need to extend forgiveness by becoming willing to be willing and tapping into the Holy Spirit's power on in the inside of you, or you need to receive God's forgiveness for yourself. I'm not going to encourage you to do anything except put your hand on your heart as a sign of acknowledgement to God that this is for you today. Thank you for all those honest hands. If you're not sure, I invite you just where you are right now to go to the Lord and to ask him, Lord, is there any area of my life that I need to receive your forgiveness afresh in? Or ask him, Lord, is there anybody in my life that I'm withholding forgiveness from? And let him show you. Let him speak to you. Let him save your soul. Father, I thank you that right now, all over this room, there are people that are saying, I am willing to forgive. And they're confessing, they do not have the power in their flesh. They don't have the grit in the natural to be able to do it. Neither do they have the power in their flesh to receive the forgiveness that they need today. Lord, we choose to believe that right now you are at work in them, giving them the power and the desire to do that which pleases you. So Father, I bless the work that you're doing in the room right now. And I ask that you do it deeper and fuller. We ask for more of your Holy Spirit in the midst of that heart situation right now. And Father, as we by faith tap into the power of your Spirit, we pronounce a word of forgiveness over our mother, over our father, over our spouse, over our child, over that Former best friend, whatever it might be, and we see ourselves with you and with them, and from our hearts and out of our mouths, Lord, we say, Your sins are forgiven in Christ. If that's you and you need to release forgiveness over someone right now, where you are, even if it's in a whisper, I don't care, but out of your mouth, I want you to say this. You, I want you to see that person, see that situation, and see Jesus with you, giving you the strength to do it. But right now, wherever you are, if you need to extend that forgiveness, just out of your mouth, just say, your sins are forgiven in Christ. Father, I thank you for torment ending today in people's lives through an open door of unforgiveness I thank you for darkness being pushed back today in anyone's life that's been trapped in unforgiveness Jesus I thank you for your healing virtue flowing through them where their memory's been foggy father where their body's been aching whatever physical effects I thank you that it's reversed in the name of Jesus and that they walk in your blessing. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Why don't you stand for me? And in a way of modeling the ministry of the believer and the priesthood of the believer one to another, I want to encourage you. This is especially powerful for spouses because we're prone to get on each other's nerves sometimes. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to look at them full in the face, and I want you to say the words to them that you said to whatever person or situation on your own privately. I want you each to take a turn of looking at each other and telling the person in the eyes, your sins are forgiven in Christ. Go ahead, find somebody to do that with before we close. That's my timer going off, I'm done. And... I want, to, uh, I want to encourage you if you feel the need to go a little bit deeper into this prayer. There are ministers here at the front that are ready to pray with you. Some of you need to practice that James five sixteen and you need to confess something one to another and receive prayer so that you might be healed. If that's jumping out at you. Or you feel like you just need an agreement of partnership now to walk this thing out. Or you know that, man, this person is, I'm around constantly. This forgiveness is going to have to be a daily thing. I live with this situation. Come and receive prayer. Come and receive prophetic word. Come and receive ministry to help strengthen you in that area as you go back into your world to to live this. All right. Let me speak a blessing over you and then we'll be done. Why don't you open up your hands like you're going to receive a present. This is the appropriate posture to receive God's blessing. In our lives, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's give God praise this morning. (laughs) Hallelujah.